We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them... It's just right for us. The Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. On Wednesday on the Pat McAfee Show, Aaron Rodgers went on speaking publicly about the Jets for the first time and said that he intends to play in New York in 2023. He wants to play in New York in 2023, which means that in days, maybe a week, but probably sooner rather than later, he will be the new quarterback of the New York Jets. And there is really no way to undersell the importance of this transaction. This might very well go down as one of the biggest moments in this franchise's history. We have talked over and over and over again about the championship level defense that the Jets already have. We have talked over and over and over again about the playmakers that they have on offense. Yes, they need to do some work on the offensive line, but they have Elijah Moore. They have Garrett Wilson. They have Tyler Conklin, Brees Hall. Now you are adding one of the best quarterbacks to ever walk the earth. Somebody who is still at the top of his game to this offensive lineup. The Jets instantly, the moment this trade becomes official, become a legitimate, no doubt, Super Bowl contender. Let that sink in. Welcome everybody to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And that <laughs> was Connor Hughes from SNY. Chris, Super Bowl favorites, the New York Jets. Two yeah. things I, not even Super Bowl favorites, Super Bowl contenders, New York Jets. Two things that never in my lifetime have been uttered out loud by a human being. I defy you to go find them. Oh, yeah, let's just bypass winning the division first, which they haven't done since 2002, and go right to Super Bowl. Super Bowl? See, that's what I'm here for, right? Because it's early free agency week. It's it's the early goings of free agency. I'm not here for nuanced banter. I'm not here for, you know, let's take some practicality and apply it to our insights. Fuck you! 
I'm here for knee-jerk reactions, overreactions, and Chris, doesn't this just, like, that's it to a T, correct? It is. I I don't know anyone outside of the Jets fan base has, like, bigger or better expectations than that. This week, we're going around the horn, getting a look at how each team has done, and just maybe touching on just a little bit of each of their individual fan base's mania. You've got people who feel like it's their time. You've got people who feel like they're making all the right moves. You've got some people who feel like they're literally in the gutter living like boxcar people. What a time to be alive, Chris. And we kick things off with the fan base that should be having the most fun on earth, considering they're now Super Bowl contenders. <laughs> that's, that's the New York Jets. And here to talk to us about it is Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. Scott, do you feel like a Super Bowl contender today? <laughs> I, I gotta tell you Drew listen we'll see what happens with Rodgers obviously nothing is official yet if they get him I don't know that Super Bowl content how do I put this if Aaron Rodgers plays like he did two three years ago then sure the Jets could be Super Bowl contenders but I think Jets fans need to be realistic about this we talked about this last week you're talking about a guy who's coming off his worst season in his career he's about to hit 40 years old this year statistically speaking, it's incredibly rare other than Tom Brady and one season of Drew Brees being efficient, dumping the ball off. There's been no quarterbacks that have been anywhere close to that level at age 40. That said, he's obviously, if they get him a huge upgrade over what they had, we know they had a really good roster last year with young players that you think would take a step forward. Uh, Super Bowl contenders a little much for me this early. Vegas would say that though. So, I, I listen, I'm not the one saying this. It's Vegas. Is it out of the question? No. But I do think that people need to temper their expectations a little bit. I know what you're referring to, though, obviously. T- t- tempered expectations? What? This is New York, sir. That doesn't <laughs> happen here. Or so, so, so now, here we are. The Jets are the owners of the most talked about and closely covered free agency pursuit, not just in the division, but of the entire 2023 offseason cycle. It had to be fun when it started. And now I got to ask, is there some fatigue or any fatigue starting to set in amongst yourself and fellow fans and fellow content producers? And where's your disappointment level on missing out on Carr? Yeah, I think for sure we've gotten to the point of exhaustion. I, I know I reached that point a while ago. As far as Carr, look, I already told you why he would have been my preference. And part of it is because, look, if you listen to what Aaron Rodgers said during that McAfee interview. And by the way, I got to tell you, 15 minutes into that interview, I was watching live and I was sitting there thinking, oh, here we go again with this nonsense. The darkness retreat and a condensed history of the Green Bay Packers from A to Z. I was about ready to pass out, take a nap. But then all of a sudden he started talking and making things interesting. And then he said, my intention is to play for the New York Jets. And then one of the keys here that I think a lot of people overlook, though, is that Rogers said that before he went into the darkness retreat, he was 90% leaning towards retirement. And then when he came out, he saw what the Packers were saying about him, basically, and it pissed him off. And so then he started talking to the Jets. He went through the physical workouts to make sure he was still ready to play another year. And then he decided once he went through those tests and felt that he could give it a go – that he would join the Jets, right? And he's amped up. He's ready to go all of that. But that sounds like a guy who is probably high likelihood. There's a high likelihood that he's going to give you one year. 
Well, that's so, it. So what, it, what right. it costs, what it might cost to get him, you're getting, like, you are unnecessarily, I think, as an outsider, and I want to know your thoughts on this, mm-hmm. from a you know, hundred miles away, I'm watching this going, this feels like a GM and a coach unnecessarily putting their balls in the chopping block. Now, I'm not saying they'd get fired if something went wrong, but what I'm saying is is you are unnecessarily putting yourself in harm's way by pursuing this, which, like, when you didn't have to, this building process has been working. You guys went from being, what, back-to-back four-win seasons to a home run of a draft, a home run of a free agency period. You're setting yourselves up from being one more good draft and one more free agency period away from being one of the more complete teams. You fix a couple of your holes, and you've got a team that can go toe-to-toe with anybody most weeks. And all of a sudden, there's this, we need to win right now. This year, we need to win. I feel like that doesn't come from a GM, because GMs are too pragmatic, especially guys like Douglas, who have earned, like not earned, but showed us that they have this long kind of vision of what this is going to be. They, they're not a coach. It sure as hell didn't come from the head coach who's just like, look, my defense, they, like that's where my focus is. I'm a defensive head coach. This is how I'm going to win. I don't need to go get a Hall of Famer. Like, this is a Woody Johnson move. And I feel like most moves, Chris, how many times has an owner ever gone to a GM and or like a, a franchise and said, I want this because I think it makes sense for the franchise. How many times have those panned out over the last 20, 30 years of our lives? Mm, I have no idea. I'm thinking, I know L. Davis has done it. I know Jimmy Haslam has done it. I, these are the, like, I don't want to be, I don't want my owner being talked about in those categories, but here we are. Does it feel I guess that it way worked you? out for the Broncos. That's probably the one situation, okay. right? And so that's probably the one that runs the closest to this. Like when I right. when I think about how this all lines up, I think to myself, you've got Peyton Manning who joined the Broncos, made two back-to-back Super Bowls, won one of them, got embarrassed in one of them, but whatever. Strong defense, they scored a ton of points, they made a great go of it. I think Though that when you look at those teams, first of all, you're talking about not only different teams, like they they, they were mature wide receiver rooms. They had they had running back talent, which you guys have. They had strong defenses, but they had mature wide receiver rooms. They were more well rounded Broncos teams. But even worse, I want to say that they I don't know. Peyton Manning's just a better, I don't want to say a better leader, but I think he's more coachable. And I think he's just a better person than Aaron Rodgers. Which well, makes, I also think if we're being fair about it, Drew, the yes. AFC is much tougher now yes. than it was back then, too. Exactly. So, yeah. so, so uh, this is where I, I just look at this, because I've seen some things. I think some of the concerns about Rodgers are overblown. You know, the, the, I've heard yeah. the narratives of he's going to destroy that locker room. I don't think he'll destroy the locker room at all because football players love guys who work hard. They they like each other. They push each other. That's what that's what makes you a professional in this sport. I also know though that Rodgers, unlike Peyton Manning joining the Broncos, who just he's happy to be there, be a good soldier, let the coaches do their job, let the GM do their job. Rodgers now knows he unequivocally wields a lot of power inside that building. <laughs> And he's already proven that he is not above wielding that power against people who he feels stand in his way of getting what he wants. 
And the thing is, we watched some of that play out with the way he sparred with his previous head coach. Now, this is Matt LaFleur, who was, by all accounts, a very smart offensive mind in the game of football. He's now coming to a team with a head coach who has this defensive pedigree and a GM who's done a good job, done a great job building that team from what it was into what it is. But there again, Alan Lazard wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Aaron Rodgers. And this talk about them flirting with the idea of a fucking Randall Cobb, which I want to yeah. shoot that idea in the face. Like if it was a, like if that, if that idea was a thing, I would try to shoot it in the face if I was a Jets fan. And yet here we are. And it's like he knows the gravitas he carries, and he seems like the type of guy, just the way he... You're talking about a petty guy who doesn't talk to his own family. Like, this is a guy <laughs> who has shown us time and time and time again I'm, that he has this... It would just make me nervous. To, to be fair, Drew, if we're being honest about it, yeah. most of the best guys in these sports are psychopaths like that, yeah. right? Look at Michael Jordan. That guy oh, was dude. insane. He got his dad killed. Absolutely allegedly. Right? Before I get sued. <laughs> well, look, remember when he when he made his Hall of Fame acceptance speech? And he said, not only did he go off on the high school coach that cut him, he went crazy. He he said he wouldn't even want to he wouldn't want to be his own children because he wouldn't want to have to live up to his legacy. <laughs> look on a lunatic I forgot about like that. that. I love yeah. that. I'm gonna say that like dude, Chris, mm-hmm. book it. I want to say that to Jack, like when he's graduating from like into, into like high school, when he's moving from middle school to high school. That'll be tough to follow. Yeah, but also he's I, gonna say, "All right, Dad, I promise I won't get beat up in the parking lot of a Chili's and live up to your legacy." <laughs> <laughs> no, in fact, if anything, Chili's is classier than Denny's. If he got beat up in the parking lot of a Chili's, it would be a step up. He would actually be showing up his father. Well, so you actually made the joke on Twitter. That you had concern about, like you you basically said, like watching this all play out, it's like watching Hulk Hogan join the WCW. Please expand <laughs> on that for our listeners. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens because <laughs> obviously Lazard is here, and I don't know what's going to happen with the other guys. And Rogers is disputing the whole wish list thing. But basically, what happened in 1994 was so WCW was the number two promotion in the world. Uh, Vince McMahon's WWF was the clear number one. You've gone through the territory days, and by this point, all the territories have been put out of business, mostly by McMahon. And WCW, while it wasn't really making much money, in fact, I believe they were losing money every year, they were sort of a passion project for Ted Turner, who owned all the Turner networks and CNN, and he had a whole global media empire. He had billions because, to throw at a thing that failed just because he thought it was fun. Well, and also because the thing was he had a lot of loyalty. So when he was first getting TBS going – wrestling was on the channel and it was like his highest rated show and he never forgot that wrestling helped build that network so that's a big part of why he said as long as i'm here wrestling will be on the network of course what happened a few years later is that they had the aol time warner merger ted turner found himself out of power the other suits were like nope we're, we're done with this wrestling thing but the point is in 94 ted turner gave the go-ahead to give Hulk Hogan, this massive contract, and Hogan obviously had become the biggest wrestling star of all time in WWF. By this point, WWF was sort of phasing him out. They thought he was too old, but he was still the biggest mainstream name. And so when they brought him in, they had to agree to all these crazy things. Like he got uh, uh, <laughs> he got co- complete creative control over his character, which means <laughs> he could basically veto anything he wanted. So 
Kevin Sullivan, who was the booker at the time, used to joke that if Hulk Hogan wanted the ending of a match to be Ric Flair getting on all fours, barking like a dog, rolling over and letting Hulk Hogan step on him with one foot and pin him, that would have been the ending of the match because Hulk Hogan had complete creative control. But he also brought in all his buddies. He got jobs for guys like Brutus the Barber Beefcake and Hacksaw Jim Duggan and all of that. So that was my joke when it came to the guys that were being reported as Aaron Rodgers wanting to bring them with him to the Jets. Alan Lazard's an interesting case because there is something to be said that the Jets might have been interested even without Rodgers, only because he does kind of fit what they need. They need a big red zone target, and he's obviously got experience with Nathaniel Hackett. So even if Rodgers didn't come, it's not a bad signing. Uh, You could argue whether it was a great signing, but Lazard's certainly a capable receiver who can do some things that they need. But, yeah, I mean, look, with Rodgers, what it comes down to is I think the Jets are in a weird spot, right? This is why I would have personally gone with Derek Carr. It's because I think you could have had him for, say, five years, six years, whatever. And as you said, in that time, you could have built out the rest of the roster and had a longer run with Carr. With Rodgers, you get one year. Maybe you get two. We don't know, but it sure sounded in that McAfee interview like, He's probably only planning on one year, and if you get anything beyond that, it's a bonus. That said, you knew they had to do something big at quarterback because this team hasn't gone to the playoffs in 12 years. Zach Wilson fell on his face so miserably. They've got this team of young players, none of whom has gotten paid yet, and so you do have this window where you think you can win something, and if you have a quarterback that can make a difference, then you have a shot to really make a run. Now, I think Derek Carr is better than a fair amount of people do, a lot of people will not anyone in this room. Vote. Chris Chris will still not stop banging the drum that Derek Carr is elite. Elite. But yeah, no, so you know what I'm saying though. Like I think Carr yeah. is a really good quarterback and you could have done some with Rodgers, look, I mean, this is the problem, right? It depends on what they have to give up. Now we're hearing a million different reports about what the Packers want, what the Jets want, are they haggling over money? Well, Nobody really I'll knows. tell you this. So so uh Ross Tucker, who I've been pretty ambivalent about myself over the last few years. I think, I, Chris, didn't I call him a carpetbagger? You might have. And then, he su- and then he subtweeted us and then brought it up on his fucking podcast. And I was just like, no, you, you don't get to, you are a carpetbagger. Get away from me. He's not a bad guy. He just, he did some something I wasn't a fan of. But so Ross Tucker made the point of like this, con- he goes, if you're the Green, if you're the Green Bay Packers, you have leverage right now. The second that that guy shows up in your building in a month or two, it's like you're staring into the sea. He's like, at that point, you're just a fat guy staring into the sun. Like, God, what? What was I? Yeah. What, what's happening? <laughs> no, you're, you're right. And this is the thing, right? And, and this is where, where we're at with it. So if I'm the Jets at this point, clearly the Packers are using the media to push narrative. I think it's clear. They've been doing that for a while. And they're doing it now. They're trying to push a narrative, well, we don't have to do anything because we don't have to even pay out the bonus until September. And that we can have a lower cap hit if we wait until June to deal him. And, hey, we could just hang on to him and we'll have him in training camp. And the second somebody has an injury, we can trade Rodgers then. Well, there's a couple of problems with that, of course. The first one is that if you want to pick in the 2023 draft – Clock's ticking on you. You're going to have to get something done within the next month or so. The second problem is, as we know, Aaron Rodgers is not averse to trying to make your life a living hell if he feels like he needs to do that. 
So if he feels like he needs to push buttons, he can. He can come out tomorrow and say, trade me the Jets or I'm going to retire. He could come out tomorrow and say, I'm going on Joe Rogan and I'm going to blast the Packers for three hours. I mean, he can do whatever he wants. He can come on April 17th when they have minicamp. He can show up there in the building, which is what Ross Tucker is basically talking about. They have leverage until the first time that Rodgers has to show up in the building. So they can play this however they want. But we all know how this ends, right? If they're going to trade him, it's going to be to the Jets. And they're not keeping them. We know this. The Packers and Aaron Rodgers have both said definitively now that there's no scenario in which he returns to the team. They're moving on with Jordan Love, and he's finished with them. So they're going to have to trade him in the Jets. And they can talk all they want to about how they're going to hold on to him through training camp and all that. Jordan Love is about to step into one of the most impossible situations you can step into. And we've seen this before. Look, you guys witnessed it when Jim Kelly retired. Whenever you have to replace a Hall of Fame player, a guy who was the face of a franchise for that long, that is immensely difficult. And let's add that Aaron Rodgers is the most tenured Packer of all time on top of that. So now Love is stepping into this situation. You're going to have Aaron Rodgers show up to training camp and just, what, stand behind him? Now, I've heard people say, oh, they'll pay him to stay at home. What if he doesn't want to? What if he decides, like Brett Favre, he's just going to show up? What then? So now you're going to rattle this 24-year-old kid who already has this impossible task? I don't think so. So people will say the Jets have no leverage because what do they have a quarterback right now? All they have on the roster is Zach Wilson. Okay, sure, true. But we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. For all we know, we've made contact with Lamar Jackson's reps, and they're like, look, you're not getting offers right now, but guess what? If this if thing, this thing goes tits up, yeah, it would be the smart play. It would yeah, be that, the smart be. play. So as we look at this, knowing that this thing is still up in the air, knowing that like as we as we look at it today, obviously big picture, things still look like they could be positive. But where you are today, knowing that you've got what? Like I look at the players that you've landed versus lost. You've got Solomon Thomas, a Zerline, and, and, and Alan Lazard for $11 million a year on Navy. Can you definitively say that as of right now, your team is a winner or a loser in the early going of free agency? Well, I mean, honestly, it all depends on what happens at quarterback, right? And if it's Rodgers, then it kind of depends on what they gave up for him. Now, there are some Jets fans that are going to say, who cares what they gave up? Because it doesn't matter. They haven't won anything in 12 years. They won a Super Bowl. But like you said, Drew, yes, this is a talented roster. But basically, if you're giving up the farm for Rodgers, which I don't think they're going to do, by the way, I think, look, people can think what they want to. We both know this. Joe Douglas, first of all, has never lost a trade. Like, you can listen to the analytics dorks all you want to about how he was dumb to trade up with Reese Hall or something. Fine. If you think that's a loss on a trade, good for you. But if you look at the guy who got two firsts and a third for a box safety, right? He got a fourth round pick for Chris Herndon. If you think this guy is sitting back there sweating, if you don't think that he has a contingency plan in case this thing goes haywire, and by the way, Trey Wingo, who's the only one who's actually had this right the whole way, has said that this is like 99% done anyway. But if you don't think that Joe Doug has some contingency plans and Tyler in his Dunn, back pocket. And our friend Tyler Dunn from over at Go Long TD. Yes. In fact, it was him yes. and Bob McGinn over at GoLongTD.com who actually broke first, first and foremost, right out of the box that Green yeah. Bay was done with Aaron Rodgers. Yes, and they did. And Ty was on the show. And by the way, I know you guys are having him on, so say hello. I love Tyler. He's awesome. 
and anybody would be a wise person to subscribe to his premium service. Uh, but yeah, man, I mean, listen, you start, I'm sure they'll, they'll get the wheels turning on Lamar Jackson. I'm sure they've called around to other teams. I'm sure they've called the Cowboys and the Vikings and all these teams. Hey, what's the story with Kirk Cousins? What's the story with Dak Prescott? I'm sure they're making calls and they're put, they've put together contingency plans. Joe Douglas is not a moron. He's not Mike McCagney. So I'm sure he's got something. But look, if they can at least get a good quarterback, then th- then this this will be a win for the offseason. Again, if it's Rodgers, we'll have to see what they give up. But I will say this. One thing that I would do personally, and it looks like Minshew might be headed for a reunion with Shane Steichen in, uh, in Indianapolis. I That's what I would do. I would sign Gardner Minshew. Because you need a backup anyway. Zach Wilson really is going to be, we assume, headed for a red shirt here. If you want any chance of success with him, you're going to have to have him sit out the year, rework everything with Nathaniel Hackett and the coaching staff, and try to be rebuilt from scratch, essentially. He shouldn't be the backup because you don't want a situation like last year where he ended up being forced into games when he shouldn't have, and it messed him up even worse. You want an entire year to break him down and build him back up. So if you get somebody like Minshew, even if you then go and get Rodgers, okay, great. You have Minshew as your backup. And guess what? Rodgers is turning 40 in December. You're going to need an insurance policy anyway. And you can get him for like two years, 10 million or something like that, which is what I think Andy Dalton got. So that's what I would do. And then right now, I think the Jets have to strongly consider punching back because the Packers have been using the media as a blunt force object. Maybe it's time to leak that the Jets are putting together a plan for Lamar Jackson or that they've had discussions with Minnesota about Kirk Cousins, whatever it is, because it's getting to the point of absurdity now. Now I'm seeing these reports. And again, let's be fair. And Aaron Rodgers made fun of this, too. All of these reporters have been wrong about everything except Trey Wingo. Somebody should should sign Trey Wingo. That guy's the hottest free agent right now. But he's the only one that's been right about anything. So who can take any of these reports at anything more than a grain of salt? Like, it's possible that Gutenkirst is leaking all this nonsense. And meanwhile, this deal's like 99% done. And all they're doing is haggling over uh, over money. And the Jets are just, you know, staying silent about it. But the Jets know where this is at. If they think that the Packers are trying to use the media to push an agenda and try and basically bad faith negotiate, then it's time for them to fight fire with fire and start leaking some stuff on their own. So this will be interesting. Mm -hmm. So far, Alan Lazard, fine, okay. They haven't done much else. It seems like they're waiting to see what happens with the quarterback position, but I would shore that up now by getting Minshew to at least have a a backup there, and then I would go from there and approach it and see see what they do. But I never expected them to spend a ton of money, although they did go after Orlando Brown, which surprised me. I never expected them to spend a ton of money because they don't have that kind of cash this year on the cap, which is weird because I don't even know who the hell they're paying. But well, they, that's it, right? That's the mark of yeah. a team that's still in flux is where you're like, where the yeah. fuck is our money? Why? Why don't you're like my team? I don't know who we're paying. We don't have any big star names. Why the fuck don't I have any money? Welcome to life as a drought era Bills fan and your 12 year playoff drought. That's how you get there. Your GM's in the process of correcting it. It's going to be interesting to see how this whole quarterback thing fits into that and plays out. Where can people find your trials and tribulations through that over at Play Like a Jet? And what do you have coming up? Oh, boy. Yeah. So uh, we have our show every single day, seven days a week. And 
one of the guests that we had recently who was extremely popular, and I already spoke to him about coming back on as soon as this all gets sorted out, is Tyler Dunn. And by the way, Tyler Dunn, uh, who I texted with yesterday, said he's pretty sure that the hold up is money. I don't know. Maybe he has different information today, but that's at least what he had said yesterday. Tyler's awesome. So I'm looking forward to listening to him on your podcast. And he'll be back on uh, Play Like a Jet as soon as something gets ironed out. Seven days a week, Play Like a Jet one on Twitter. All the major, uh, all the major plot podcast platforms. We've got playlikeajet.com, youtube.com slash playlikeajet. This week, what we've been doing is Walter Charpinski of walterfootball.com has been coming on and we've been doing our daily free agency recaps. It's been very Roger-centric, as I'm sure you can imagine so far, but there's been a lot of movement throughout the league. And the thing I love about Walter is he covers the entire league extremely closely. That's what he does for a living. So it's good to get his perspective on players especially from outside the Jets bubble. So he's going to be on. And then we're going to start digging into some of the guys that the Jets are eventually going to get. I know we've got a Alan Lazard film review up on our channel, so I'm sure we'll do a show on that. And we'll do a bunch of other cool stuff too. Hopefully, Drew, you'll come back on at some point and we'll talk about this from a Bills perspective. I'm curious to hear from people like you and Alf about what you think of the Jets offseason once the draft and the free agency stuff is over. So... A lot of stuff going on to play like a jet seven days a week. And as I always am fond of saying, gentlemen, uh, this is why I'm probably a few sandwiches short of a pick. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Now, Chris, it's funny because as we as we kind of jump off the line here with Scott and we move on with the show tonight, he made a good point about regression. You know, we're talking about going from he made the point of Jim Kelly to Todd Collins. Like, yeah, no, that was a fucking cliff that we fell off of. But that's what you get when you go from Hall of Famer to the next guy. And he's absolutely right. In Green Bay, they are going to have a problem because even the most pragmatic fan will tell like they'll, they'll say that they understand the team will be different. But realistically, it doesn't in their heart of hearts when the, when, you know, when the whistle blows and kickoff happens, they're expecting their football team to go out there and win the way it always has with a Hall of Fame quarterback under center. And when it doesn't, there will be angst and there will be frustration. And I feel like there's somebody out there who knows and has lived every bit of that who joins us here tonight to talk about the New England Patriots and the early onset of free agency, Mr. Mark Schofield. How are you doing, sir? You told me that you had an intro to segue. You're like all queued up. I didn't realize exactly what you had in the holster, but man, 
You came loaded for bear with that one. Listen, my goodness. Listen, we're listen. This is why I'm a professional, right? That's why I'm in. The, that's why we have a, a studio now. It's why we make the yep. big bucks. I am a. I'm a. I'm a professional. You are now. consummate professional. <laughs> um. Yeah, so I'm doing great right now. Um, yeah, everything's fantastic. I, I know you had me on to talk about uh, the Saudi Arabia Grand Prix and not about the New England Patriots and what they have done or have not done so far in free agency. But. Well, actually, it's funny you mentioned that because that is one of the things I wanted to pick your brain about. Um, oh, excellent. Our, our attorney... Uh, Mark Smith, Rock Power. Yeah, how cool is that? We actually have, not only do we have this awesome studio, we also have official counsel. We have this an attorney. Incredible. Um, he is a giant F1 nerd. He has now found your content. Yeah. Like, he's he, always liking and retweeting the stuff. He's like one of like the five F1 fans that I have crossing <laughs> over, like the football F1 world. And it's like, it's like, you know that meme? Where it's like somebody's like playing music on the balcony and it's mm-hmm. like me with my tweets. And then you look down and there's like three people dancing. It's like all the people that like all my tweets. <laughs> like Mark's in that little group of like the crossover F1 football world. See, and I love that because, again, you're a smart guy. So you're, you're, you're a consummate professional. It's why you're shucking and jiving over there at SB Nation, still keeping things spinning. You're making a name for yourself. And I like the fact that you're expanding that area of the site's coverage. Guys, if you're into F1... Go check it out. Mark's kind of a trailblazer for SB Nation in this regard. I mean, I'm, uh, you, you know, uh, you, it's it's a fun sport. And the thing that I love about covering F1, it's like such a difference between the NFL because the NFL, they try to hide everything, right? Like they're closed mouthed. Like mm-hmm. even if you get credentials, even if you can get into a, a press conference, like you don't get a ton of answers at the combine. Everything's evasive. Covering F1, like all the teams, they have no idea who I am. They granted me like press credentials. So like stuff happens and I will get blasted emails. They're basically PR statements, but oh my God, I just got an email quote from Lewis Hamilton about how bad they were today. And it's like <laughs> brutal honesty. They get it. They know that like people are consuming the content. And as a result, like I've gotten to be parts of like some really cool stuff. Like I woke up one morning and I got this email from you know, the PR, the head of PR for Andretti Autosport, they're like, here's the Zoom link. We'll see you at 10. I'm like, for for what? I log on. There's Michael Andretti. You know, there's the head of GM. And they're like, we're making a Formula One team. Anybody got any questions? And I'm like, oh, how am I in the middle of this? <laughs> That's but awesome. I, yeah. And, and so it's it's so different than the NFL because the NFL, it's the shield. It's 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 rigid. It's all that. F1, like, they, they want you to write about them, even if it's negative. Like, after the Bahrain Grand Prix, Mercedes, fifth and seventh, and they sent out the email after it, and Toto Wolf was like, this was the worst day we've ever had. And it's like, thank you, Toto. That's a nice little article for me. Mm-hmm. Thanks a lot. Love it. Appreciate it. So, yeah, it's 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 a ton of fun. Um, and what, what's really sort of cool about it from my vantage point is, like, the kids are into it. My wife is into it because of the Netflix show. It's It's been fun. That's awesome. I like it that you made the switch at the right time to go from – Covering the Patriots to focusing on F1. Perfect yeah, timing. Mean, uh, it's going to be a meme over the next couple of months. All these Patriots things are going to slowly disappear. There's going to be like Haas hats and like Red Bull stuff. And it's going to be like, no, I've never been a Patriots fan. I've always been an F1 guy. He's like, Tom it was, who? It, what? It was funny at the combine, the number of people that were like, you know, giving me crap about it. But like I'd walk in and people were like, who let the, the F1 blogger in here? What are you doing here? You don't know. You're not an NFL guy anymore. <laughs> I love it. So as we were kind of segueing into this, it was just about 
regression and just about to talk about that. I'm a Pantera fan. You know, revolution is my name is, is a great song. Regression is my name is the, it might as well be the Patriots theme song right now. Back in 2020, you joined us and we talked about how unorthodox it was to watch the Patriots be major buyers in free agency. It was a stark contrast to anything we'd seen in years from the Patriots. At that time, I was looking back through it. So Warren Sharp had a tweet. They spent an NFL high $291 million in that period total. Yep. Big names. Matt Judon, the tight end duo, Henry and uh, Smith. Uh, guys, Mills, Aguilar, Adrian Phillips, Trent Brown. You guys stocked the room with players. And you got applauded as geniuses. And, like, I don't know, other people, like us two idiots running this podcast, kind of made note that it, I don't know. It's weird that they're pivoting to this. It almost kind of feels desperate. Now you look at the result of that, and it seems like they're finally starting to tear it down, considering they've been 18 and 16 since then. And so now we're sitting here at the at the start of a free agency period. I mean, last year, Matt Judon's Twitter frustration was, I mean, I, I lapped it up, right? Because I'm petty and I'm a bad right. person. Uh, it was a hilarious high point for me. In terms of like where our team's relationships are. And they were just unable to seal the deal with a number of key free agents that it was reported that they were very much in on. You know, they chased the Allen Robinson deal. They chased a lot of things that no one wanted to. They were basically where the drought era bills were. If you don't grossly overpay, nobody of merit is going to come here. And then you're watching them kind of tear that down. The Johnny Smith trade. I mean, to you, is that closing the door on one of the poorer UFA signings of the last 20 years for the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, it's hard not to sort of look around the entire AFC landscape and feel that things have totally flipped at this point. You know, I, I've seen some say that, you know, if the Rodgers did indeed go through, you know, New England is fourth by a mile in that division. And they have, if the, again, the Rodgers thing goes through, the most unsettled quarterback situation in the, in the AFC East. And I think what you're seeing is like you sort of said, is that when you don't have the draw of a Hall of Fame level quarterback and a dynasty in progress, you have to either vastly overpay or hope that the low level tier C and D sign-ins that you make in free agency wildly pan out and exceed expectations. That's a tough way of doing business. Now, for 20 years, the Patriots didn't have those problems. Everybody else was sort of living in that world and hoping that, you know, the, the signings that they make on, you know, tiers through C and D were able to be enough. And many seasons they weren't. That coin is flipped. And, you know, like you said, they wildly overpaid in that free agent cycle. And people like me had, well, they had the money to spend and they're going to spend it. It's okay. This is how they're going to do business now. It didn't work. And now we're back to a Juju Smith Schuster, uh, a James Robinson, you know, the, the second tier free agents where, you know, maybe Juju has a nice year next year and maybe James Robinson gives them, you know, 600 yards and a couple of touchdowns or something like that as part of a rotation with Ramondre Stevenson. You're not getting guys like Orlando Brown saying, I'll come here to play. You know, you're not getting guys like Jacoby Myers that will take a sort of hometown-ish discount to stay. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's it's a different era now. 100%. And it, in many ways, starts with the quarterback position, right? Like, yeah. you don't have that draw. 
to come in and say, hey, play with Matt Jones. That's not going to move the needle for free agents. Well, you just hit on something that I want to pick your brain about because it is one of the more interesting happenings in Patriots free agency. It almost seems like a one-for-one swap on its face. Jacoby Myers out, Juju Smith-Schuster in. Yeah. And I've heard it spun where they go, well, if he had, if he had wanted to, if the Patriots had wanted to keep Jacoby Myers, they would have. They didn't, and reasons I've up. But if you ask anybody else, everyone would have told you that Jacoby Myers was probably had more, had more upside, and probably his stock was a little bit more valuable than Juju Smith-Schuster because he's already shown us what he is. Jacoby Myers with a new coordinator, better quarterback play, he could have untapped potential. So the fact that that argument gets made, I don't know, I just feel like that's kind of a sign of what's happening here offensively for the Patriots. Wouldn't you say that? Like, there's yeah, a I lack mean, of trust of the direction of this thing. I, I, I think a lot of it is that. The, the, the Last year was a lost season. And in, in many ways, the Patricia Judge experiment, it failed badly. And Myers leaving town might be an offshoot of that, just a sort of mm-hmm. breakdown of trust. And, you know, everything we've sort of been hearing and been told is that, look, this season is about getting the best out of Matt Jones. Who was his favorite receiver? Who was his security blanket? Where would his eyes go on third and seven first? Jacoby mm-hmm. Myers. And now he's wearing black. I mean, he's wearing silver and, and black. I mean, yeah. he's a Raider. And so, you know, is Juju Smith a, a good wide receiver? Can he produce in this offense? I think so. It's a good scheme fit for him. But at the same time, Jacoby Myers, like, he's your quarterback security blanket. He's the guy that's supposed to help Mac Jones get to where he needs to be. And the fact that he's not here, is it's, it's frustrating. So then you look at the way the rest of this is going. And just to your point, a James Robinson pickup, you lose Jacoby Myers, you swap him out for Juju Smith-Schuster. Like Christian Simonelli, who usually comes on here and does some of these spots with us, he tweeted out a, a picture, and it was just Chandler Jones stiff-arming Mac Jones in that Raiders-Patriots game last year. And above his head, it says, uh, about Chandler Jones, it just says free agency. <laughs> and under Mac Jones, it says the Patriots. <laughs> like, it's... like. Is your fan base beginning to feel like just based on what you see, based on what you know, what you're hearing you know, amongst other Patriots reporters? Is it fine? Because I look at the Chris, is it fair to say like the Patriots after did the thing after they lost the Hall of Fame quarterback, they spent and they drafted and they did things to try to sustain rather than tear down and rebuild. They tried to just sustain the momentum of a dynasty and instead it just slowed the decay a little bit. I mean, you and I were history nerds, Schofield. Yeah. So I, I'm always joking around about how, you know, we we were the Goths circling Rome, just waiting for the fire to start. Yep. Well, it's been burning. It's been burning, and it seems like this is how close to the bottom are we? Do you think we're closer to the bottom than the top? I mean, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, now, look, there's there's a long way to go. I mean, there there's more free agency, there's draft, there's other things that can be done. Sure. And I do expect, you know, this offense to be better under Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm. You know, I expect, you know, at least some continuity of some some continuity. day one to day two to day twenty to day yeah. I mean, I, 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 th- I, I think they will be better on offense. 
I think they will still be good on defense. They have talent. I mean, I think that, you know, do they need a corner? Yeah, well, it's a good draft for that. Might they add an edge player? Yeah, and it's a solid draft for that. Might they add another offensive lineman and a tackle? Yeah, it's a good draft for that, too. I mean, there are some receiver options out there. So there will be things that will be added. Sure. I think the bigger problem here is this. Look around the rest of the AFC. Like incremental improvements and getting Mac Jones to look like he did as a rookie. That might be make for a 10 win team or something like that. 11 win team, best case scenario. But you look around the greater AFC landscape, good isn't good enough. And I, I think that's the problem, not the problem, but the reality that a lot of Patriots fans are starting to grapple with, you know, good isn't good enough in this conference. I mean, mm-hmm. We're doing this show now on Thursday, and earlier this morning on Good Morning Football, they had all the hosts like rank the top five quarterbacks in the NFC. It's like you're seeing guys like Geno Smith and Goff get votes. <laughs> I mean, that's the NFC. AFC, I mean, it's a much different world. And then you add Aaron Rodgers into that, as mm-hmm. we all expect. You know, good is not going to be good enough in the AFC. And so these incremental improvements, is it going to be what gets them there? No, it won't. Now, is it time to tear the whole thing down? I don't know. But the fact that there are those discussions and those debates on social media and elsewhere, it tells you where this fan base is thinking. In terms of whether you view this free agency period, because realistically, that's like that, that that's the question of the night as we're sitting around talking about it. It's do you view this as a win and a loss? And what do you think is yet to come? Because it's hard to prognosticate where the Patriots go because it all comes down to who's willing to go there. And part of right. that is because they don't have either, you know, with Miami, it was, hey, we hired this sexy offensive head coach and we've got, we traded all these assets for Tyreek Hill. So you see some players that go, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll show up for that. Like, that sounds like it might be interesting. I'll go there. I'll go do that. For the Bills, the Bills haven't even really tried <laughs> to make anything happen yet. We, we've signed our own. We retained our own. We brought in a couple bit players here and there, but realistically, we haven't made any dramatic overhauls, but then I don't know that we had to just yet. You know, there's still some savvy moves to be made because this is probably the slowest free agency period I've seen in a long time. Um, I, the Jets are swinging for the fences, you know, at the top right. of the show. Connor Hughes talking about how it makes them a Super Bowl contender, which is hilarious. It, it's hilarious. What do you think about that? Because realistically, here's what I see. I see this as you guys needing a draw in free agency, and you didn't have it last year. I don't know that offensively there's going to be a lot of players who are willing to sign up to because they don't know. Now your offense is a dice roll. They don't know what they're getting involved in. And that's hard for players to set their career, you know, bank, risk their career on, saying I'll go to New England on a two-year, three-year deal. This might be my last bite at free agency. It might be my first one. Those types of players aren't falling all over themselves to go to New England unless they have to. Where do you think you guys stack up against the Jets in terms of the division picture? And how do you, I don't know, just what do you think about them being quote-unquote contenders? I mean, assuming Rodgers goes there, I mean, yeah, it makes them contenders in the East. It makes them contenders in the AFC because that's a young, talented team that literally needed just Derek Carr. I mean, they could have signed Derek Carr, and it's like, okay, now you've got like a, you know, 
QB 15 or so in the league, that's better than QB 33, which is what you had last year. Mm -hmm. And with everything else you have around the quarterback position, that's going to make you a team that's at least good enough to get in. The question becomes, can they make a run? Mm -hmm. And with Rodgers, they might be able to make a run. I mean, again, the earlier point still stands. AFC is very tough. Yes. Like, you know, there's that. From New England's perspective, I mean, again, assuming the Rodgers thing goes in, they're, I've seen the odds. They're the fourth best team in the division. I mean, I, I can't really push back on that. Now, can they make additions? Can they do some more things in free agency? As you said, Drew, it's a slow free agency class. I mean, I think that's a reflection of the talent that is and is not available. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not – there aren't, like, huge names. A lot of the better players get tagged. I mean, could they go add, like, a Dalton Schultz? I mean, Sure. But it's a good tight end class. You might just want to get young in that position exactly. and not pay Dalton Schultz. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I really think that, like, right now they've kind of – they haven't really gone anywhere. Like, they haven't gotten worse. I wouldn't say that they've gotten better. They're kind of where they are. But standing still is not good enough in this AFC. Last point. And it's just – this is more of just me picking your brain because I feel like you know more people than I know. You hear more things than I hear. Mac Jones was the quarterback taken in the first round. Obviously, they're going to say all the nice things they can about him. Is there a universe where, as this situation that just keeps smoldering over there in Baltimore goes on, is there a universe where maybe Kraft looks around, Bilicek looks around, and goes, "Hey, if we're serious, I'm not going to retire anytime soon because I want to try to I want Shula's record, and I want to try one more time to hoist a Lombardi." Kraft is content to let him do that. Is there a universe where they get together and say, listen, maybe we do make a play for Lamar Jackson? Looking at what the quarterback talent is in the division. Yeah. One of my favorite things about the combine and one of, I think, the more educational parts of being there is when you go to the Hall J and the Indiana Conference Convention Center, Indianapolis Convention Center, when all the prospects are speaking Mm -hmm. and you take note of what beat reporters are at what podiums. For example, Maddie Glab, Bill's reporter, lover. She was at all the interior offensive linemen podiums. Yes, that's a neat. She should be. So Friday morning, it's Bryce Young day. It's quarterback day. Bryce Young's going to meet the media at 8 a.m. And I'm standing in front of Bryce Young at 745. Crowd's already starting to assemble. Everyone wants wants to see how tall he is. And I look around, and there's Evan Lazar from Patriots.com. And Mike Dussault from Patriots.com and other assembled Patriots beat writers. And I'm like, so I go over to Evan and I'm like, do I need to know something? Like, is there a reason you're here? He's like, no, no, no. I'm going to ask him a Bill O'Brien question about the offense and things like that. And to Evan's credit, he certainly did. But then CJ Stroud spoke next and a lot of the same Patriots beats stuck around. (laughs) And then Anthony Richardson and some of the same Patriots beats stuck around. And they kept telling me, no, 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 we're just, we're here. It's quarterback. And I'm like, but you got other positions. If it walks like a duck and it talks. And, and, and so I'm not saying that they're going to like move on from Mac Jones, but I think it's, there's a non-zero, you know, maybe it's something like single digits. I'm not saying that Lamar would be that guy, but Bill Belichick has always spoken very highly of Lamar Jackson. Before those two teams played this year, he was asked a question about Lamar Jackson and playing from the block, and he said, look, I think Lamar's answered all those questions. Somebody pressed him on it and said, you'll see what his contract is next year. That will tell you all you need to know about Lamar Jackson. 
would it surprise me if reports come out, you know, a week from now, two weeks from now, that they at least made a phone call to see what it would take? It wouldn't surprise me at all. Because, again, it comes back to the point of the AFC is tough. You need a quarterback to compete right now. If you've got an opportunity to replace Mac Jones with Lamar Jackson, I think you at least see what it would take. Now, maybe the cost would be, you know, four-year, $250 million guaranteed or some out outrageous number that you're like, okay, well, it's it's not going to be worth it to give up the two first-round picks. It will just hamstring us. But if it's something you're willing to pay, I think you at least consider it. God. It, Chris, it would just be crazy to think about what the AFC East would be like with another – like if you could get three to four high-end quarterbacks in the same division, like that's fun. Yeah. Like, that's fun. Now that, now that we've won it back to back to back times, I can talk about competition <laughs> and how much fun that would be. You probably remember those days, don't you, Scofield? I, I, I do. <laughs> I do. They were fun. They were enjoyable. But uh, savor them while you can. Well, that's it, right? Enjoy yeah. them. Cause they, Enjoy them while you can. Because when they're gone, you know, it's, it's cold. It's cold out yeah, there on the outside. It's a cold, dark world out there. That's why we turned <laughs> out Formula One. Mark, we love you. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find not only the stuff you did, because I know you do podcasts, you do radio spots, you do you join idiots like us who sit here and we slam beers and we rag on your team, but also all of the cool stuff that you're working on over uh, the, the F1 stuff, the SB Nation stuff. Where can people go to find it? Yeah, what do you have it's all up? on Twitter, at Mark Schofield, but it's all SBNation.com. Um, I've got a bunch of F1 pieces up today. Um, my buddy, JP Acosta, he's at the Orlando Regional Games today. So he's at o- Oral Roberts. Duke is tipping off like right now. Go he's Oral Roberts! for that. Boo, like, Duke. We're doing all sorts of stuff. I will have the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix covered all weekend long. Um, SBNation.com. Check it all out. And so with all of that behind us, we turn to the Miami Dolphins, who are kind of turning up the heat down in South Beach. Miami, in my opinion, did the most of any AFC's franchise last offseason to catch up to the Bills in terms of the ability to compete for a division title and the playoffs. They picked up this offseason making a splash, and at the same time, there were some other decisions that they chose to make and some decisions they haven't yet made and holes they haven't yet addressed. And here, as always, to talk to us about it is Elf Artiaga from Three Yards Per Carry. Elf, intro to the show. Jets, Super Bowl contenders. <laughs> I first, because I, I need your opinion on the topic. Look, they, their defense is a good defense. I like a lot of the players on that team. That is a very good, young, talented team. But those seven wins might have been completely overstated. They beat two, count them, two starting quarterbacks last season. One of them, uh, you guys know who it is. Yeah, and I the other one, know and, who it is. And, and the other one is uh, is going to be their quarterback this year, Aaron Rodgers. So, I think they're in for a rude awakening. I, you know, a lot of people don't give a crap about win score. I do, and if you believe in those things, uh, Cynthia Freeland of NFL Network, who is pretty good on these things, said that Aaron Rodgers improves the New York Jets by one point eight wins, and one point eight plus seven equals eight point eight. So, if you have a nine-win team, I guess you can make the playoffs. Are you a Super Bowl contender? Probably not. Chris, shoe in. We should already like like the Vegas odds. I think they, as of today they're like what fourteen to like fourteen to one, fourteen to one Super Bowl odds, up from like twenty-five 
to one just like two weeks ago. It's crazy the amount of traction Aaron Rodgers is getting the Jets in the minds of people who prognosticate and you know, pun, you know, provide punditry over football. About the Dolphins. Now, obviously you guys are making moves. The Ramsey trade. He obviously adding a star all pro pro bowl cornerback is never a bad thing. I guess the question is how do he and Howard in your mind projecting this new Vic Fangio style defense? Well, we can start with that. It's, it's evident that Xavier Howard hated Byron Jones because you never saw them together. You never saw them talk about each other. And Jalen Ramsey has been here for one day and uh, Xavier Howard and Jalen Ramsey have already been to a heat game. Uh, he's given him a tour of the facility. He was at his introductory press conference, and evidently they're working out together today. And they've been friends since they were, you know, I guess in the same draft class in 2016. He told the story today about he, how he went to his uh, his pro date, and he tried to recruit him to his uh, his agent uh, a couple of years ago. And they've done some charity work together. So evidently they like each other. So that's a start. As far as how they fit in the defense, everywhere. They brought back everybody on the secondary. Nick Needham is back on a small deal, although he had that Achilles injury. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't expect them back for, for camp, but maybe the beginning of the season, possibly he could be back. Cater Kohu was really good last year. They just signed Deshaun Elliott. So Deshaun Elliott will replace likely Eric Rowe, who I don't think will be back. And Brandon Jones is coming back and he's already working out. So he should be ready for camp. Yeah, things are looking up in the secondary. And Vic Fangio in his introductory press conference said that he spent the year working on new coverages and thinking about how he can expand, um, you know, his defense and his scheme. Well, now he has the players to do it because so far free agency has been all about him because uh, I don't think anybody is giving it uh, enough, I guess, hype is the right word for, but I think that David Long signing is an absolute home run because if you go on Spotrack and we talked about it on the podcast, he was our number one linebacker. That's who we wanted. Mm -hmm. Uh, We thought he would cost somewhere around five years, $55 million. Like we thought he was the second best. And actually we liked him more than Tremaine Edmonds. And, well, why, though? We're, so what is it about him? Because it's one thing to say that. Why don't you articulate that a little bit? Because I know right now there's a bunch of people who heard that who just yelled, fuck you. <laughs> and so I just I could provide a little context. Why do you think he fits what you guys do so well? Well, you're always working for a market if, uh, inefficiency, right? So mm-hmm. if I told you you can buy um, a Ferrari that the chassis is not dinged up, but it needs a lot of body work, but you can buy it for like 35000 and it's worth... 150 would you do it i would i would do it all the time because i know i can make money on it right mm-hmm. david long the only reason we got him for two years 11 million is because he played 12 games last year and he had a hamstring injury that put him on ir for five games he plays the entire season i think he gets those five years 55 million but when he plays he is a complete linebacker he could play one gap he could play phil he could play the scrape he could play two gap he's good in coverage and the film just pops consistently. We've been on him since the season ended as a guy that we had to target because, quite frankly, we like Alandon Roberts, but he is completely one-dimensional. He's a Phil linebacker and not much else. And I thought 
for the defense to take the next step, and especially in a Vic Fangio-style defense that relies on light boxes, you are going to need two linebackers that can run. And now with David Long and Jerome Baker, we're pretty happy with what we have now. So you guys, may, you're, I'm just taking a look at the, as we sit here, I'm taking a look at some of the additions you guys made. You get your linebacker that you need to try to play this new scheme. You go out, you, it, it's, it's been kind of baked into the Dolphins DNA over the course of the last decade that you guys have wanted, you know, not just one, but almost bookend cornerbacks. You want two star outside, you have that now. You kind of short up some of the depth. You've taken care of some other things. But now you're looking at the offensive side of the ball. Now, the offense for Miami was, you know, as Bills fans can tell you, was you know, there were games where it broke down. A lot of that falls at the on the crest of the quarterback. <clears throat> You've still got some work to do. But maybe the biggest, <laughs> this Mike White signing, I, mean, I thought the, 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 the tribute pieces to him, the one with him with angel wings on, where it looked, I mean, for, he didn't die. He, he went to a better football team. And I was laughing because I'm like, there's no way, if it wasn't for the Jets being infatuated with this pursuit of Aaron Rodgers, they probably get to keep Mike White. But I think because they slow played that whole situation, they, I think they just played it poorly. Because you watch them lose out on Carr. You watch them lose out on some of the other safer, more sure bet options that they would have had. And then they even said they liked Mike White, and yet now he's a Miami Dolphin. You liked the Teddy Bridgewater signing last year, and he wasn't terrible. How do you feel the Mike White signing lines up for you guys? I'm completely out of ideas as far as the the, the, the backup quarterback <laughs> position is because when they signed Jacoby Brissett, I remember thinking, and, and I was on the podcast saying, you know what, this guy is not a good quarterback, and we're going to see it. But I was completely corrected this past season when he was actually pretty good with, with the Cleveland Browns. So evidently we were the problem when <laughs> he was here. Okay. Now last year when we signed Teddy Bridgewater, he's a local product. I kind of, you know, I know his father. Okay. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's just get it. Just get that out of the way. So, you know, he came in with a lot of goodwill. It just didn't seem like he wanted to play. And uh, I'm sorry. Uh, we're going to Buffalo. Okay, and it's all hands on deck in the playoffs, and he's going to sit out with a pinky. Yeah, yeah, that was you know a bad I mean? look. Like that was a bad look, and I think that you're seeing that. Like, there's quarterbacks like Kyle Allen being signed. <laughs> Here's Teddy Bridgewater still looking for work. It's. I think that the way last season went, and I think that the way he handled some of his nicks and his bumps and his bruises. You know, mind you, the Dolphins' offensive line did him no favors, which we're going to talk about here in a second. But by and large, what you saw from Teddy Bridgewater is all, like Mike White is almost the antithesis of that. You're talking about yes. a guy who play, tried to play through fucking shattered ribs. <laughs> you're, you're welcome, by the way. Like, I hope he's going to line up and he's going to see Matt Milano and just be like, damn it. Come on, guys. Just block for me. Yeah, and, and he's a local guy too, uh, Mike White. And evidently, you know, this is a Mike McDaniels special and I trust him. Why, why can't I trust him? You know, he's the, he's the head coach. Uh, for many years, the last two years, they just went out and said, look, let's just go get the best guy that we can find. And evidently both of them were bad fits. We are two and eight the last two seasons with our backup quarterback. That's not good. <laughs> okay. No, that's not good. 
Well, and I think a part of a lot of that has to do with what's in front of them. And so that's why I look at some of the other things you guys have going on in free agency. Again, this is early. We're, we're talking about early free agency reactions. Obviously, there's, you know, Chris this is a dynamic we're going to talk about later when we go on our uh, podcast or the people who are hearing this. Probably, they've probably already heard it. But we're talking about how this might be the slowest developing free agent market I've seen in a while. I mean, we're in day two and there's still loads of talent out there, names, who it just seems like there's no traction for it. And usually it seems like all the bad teams went to market quickly, snapped up what they thought were monster signings. And now you've got the other half of the league that's sitting there going, listen, we don't have a ton of cap, so we're going to be judicious with it. It's going to take some time. It's interesting to watch it play out, but... In the early going, this decision by Miami to run run it back with the same running back room and more or less the same offensive line so far, how does that sit with you? Uh, not well so far. I do like the running backs, okay? And it wasn't for lack of trying. They were, they were flirting with Dalvin Cook, and they explored, let's just say, Derrick Henry, that's not going to happen, and it's probably not going to happen because it's Tennessee and they probably want too much. But the Dalvin Cook thing was extremely real, really real. But uh, Dalvin Cook evidently likes his money, and, yeah. he's owed, and he's owed $45 million of it the next three years. That not That is not guaranteed. And if you understand how Miami yeah. works, and Chris Greer, he does these press conferences every single year and always says the same thing. He says, you know, left tackle, you know, you know his his bag. He mm-hmm. says quarterback, left tackle, wide receiver, cornerback, yep. pass rusher. That's where we're going to spend our money on this team. And he says that every single year. So you could kind of see where they were going with that Dalvin Cook pursuit. Mm-hmm. It was probably like, hey, we'll throw you a fourth round pick or a third round pick, take his remaining years off the, you know, off the table mm-hmm. and maybe guarantee one year yep. at maybe 10 which means that you essentially have them for two years, five million each. Mm-hmm. And Dalvin Cook said, uh, "No, you're not doing that. Yeah, because yeah. I'm owed forty-five. Yeah, so yeah. cut me, and I'll go elsewhere and sign for new guaranteed money. Exactly. And that's probably <clears throat> what the Vikings might do, or they just run it back this past season. Because you know, what's the use? Do you really need to save the four million that you saved by cutting them this year? Yeah, like that's, probably not. That's so it. I think he'll be a Viking this year. Next year." He'll be cut. So then the offensive line, that's been the most interesting thing to me. Like, the two big tackle acquisitions that have happened so far, I really expected the Dolphins to be... And I guess that's where I want to ask. I, coming into this conversation and ahead of free agency, expected to see that some of the bigger contracts handed out on the interior line and at the tackle position, you were going to hear more about Miami being in on those things. And by and large, I haven't heard that, I haven't seen it, and it hasn't materialized. How comfortable are you with that approach, and like, what have you heard? I mean, are, is are, do you know, based on the contacts you have, whether or not the Dolphins were at least trying to kick the tires on some of these high-end, you know, bookend tackle type deals? I think that they're, uh, they're they're prowling around, and I think Barry Jackson said it best when he says that they're still in the in the they're still investigating the right tackle market, which tells me they saw what Mike McGlinchey got got and said, no thanks. Yep. And we know that Orlando Brown did not want to play right tackle. So I don't think that was going to go over, although I love that contract. That's a great contract. Oh, it's a great deal. 
It's a huge. Okay. I, I I hate the Bengals, but man, they, that's that's a that's a that's a home run because let's face it, former <laughs> Alabama as an Alabama guy, for Jonah Williams was doing them no favors. No. So you you now get you get your left tackle. You're gonna they're bring. Hey, guy, Chris, they're bringing in Cody Ford. The Bengals are bringing in Cody Ford for a workout. Woo! It's it's like what? Oh, the guard market. Like the guard market exploded this year. Like that's why I look at you guys and I go into your offensive line. The Bills were kind of in on those conversations and we kind of settled on what is a fair deal for McGovern. And I look at some of the names that are still out there and I go, all the big cash that got thrown around. Do you think that scared some GMs off until the market cools? It absolutely scared off uh, Chris Greer. I think that. What you can look for them to do is they're going to go for a lower-end guy. Um, I'm hoping that they, they actually revisit Cam Fleming because there's good tape there. He just played all right. Um, or they could go you know, completely competent, you know what I mean, and just go after a Billy Turner. Mm-hmm. Or they could take a, a bigger swing, and this guy's not going to be available until August, but um, it's pretty well known that the Bengals want to move off of Leo Collins' contract, yep. and they can. And they're going to move Jonah Williams to right tackle. That seems to be what the, the Bengal beat writers are saying. So if Leo Collins gets cut, you know, he's not going to be available probably for the beginning of the season because he's available to be back onto the field in August. So you got to figure he, he's going to need some time to ramp up. But that's not a bad situation if he's able to get anywhere near back to where he was. Uh, you just get him, you plug him in at right tackle and call it a day, and then you're happy with the rest of the line, really. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not Miami can find an answer here to some of these offensive line issues that really kind of cripple your offense. Because Yeah, we're, we are, uh, however, on watch, on Trent Sherfield watch, because if you've seen these wide receiver contracts, I'll, I'll you're t- a little out of whack. And I said it the other day on, on Twitter. I think you even retweeted it. I, I said, Trent Schoffer's better than all these clowns. I, and, and I said, I'm I'm seeing the money getting thrown around for Juju Smith-Schuster. And I was like, holy shit. But I go, first of all, it's not like it's an overwhelming sum. But I guess the thing is, I look at it and I say... Fuck Trent Sherfield, if I can just get my hand... Like, if you if someone in the Bills front office could just talk you into getting here for... I don't even I don't even know what it would cost. I just know that I like the speed and size combination. But then again, Chris, we're a wide receiver. We're a group that won't use its wide receivers to their strength anyway, right? No. <laughs> so with that in mind, all I know is that he's going to be an interesting player to watch. It's going to be interesting to see how you guys flesh out the rest of that wide receiver room. As of as it stands today, as we get out of here, what position are you watching most strongly over the next week as the market develops? And do you call the first two days of free agency a win or a loss for your team? Uh, the first two days, are it's an absolute home run. Uh, what I'm watching is obviously that right tackle spot. Uh, they need another competent body there. Um, and the wide receiver room, I think, could be settled. They paid Cedric Wilson last year. The only problem with Cedric Wilson last year was that he was injured. You know, he had a knee. He had a he had a knee issue early in the season, and then he had a rib issue for most of the season. I'm pretty sure so, that was the whole Dolphins roster, wasn't? It? <laughs> pretty much. But when Cedric Wilson was asked to make a play, he made a play, and you guys saw it twice. You know, like that was all year. Like he would show up all of a sudden and make a play somewhere in a game. You saw it in the snow in Buffalo. He caught that that big fade route for like 40 yards late in the game, and then he had the punt return in the playoff game. So whenever he was asked to make a play, 
He made a play. He's getting paid like a wide receiver three. I think it's time that he earns the spot. So if Trent Sherfield's gone, I expect him to be wide receiver three. Uh, Eric Azukama should compete with that. And they signed Braxton Berrios as like the wide receiver five gimmick player and punt returner. So, you know, right tackle is all I'm waiting for, really, at this point. Well, I I can't wait to see how it unfolds. I can't wait to get together and do another one of these shows a little bit farther down the road once rosters start to materialize. We'll do some pre-draft stuff. And obviously, you guys have plenty of draft content coming up over at 3 Yards Per Carry. If you want to plug some of that here before we get out of here. Yeah, of course. You can get it all on our feed. Um, you can get our, our feed, 3 Yards Per Carry. That's the number 3 Yards Per Carry on iTunes, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, we even upload to YouTube every once in a while. So... Yeah, you could just follow us on, on Twitter, the number three yards per carry. Scott Mason, Alf Artiaga, Mark Schofield. They're like the uh, fabulous free birds of covering the <laughs> AFC East. <laughs> and I do have to throw out one little nugget because some of you might listen to this and go, fuck you guys, the fuck Scott talking about? Gardner Minshew plays for the Colts. He literally signed with the Colts. Right after we finished recording with Scott Mason. So, <laughs> Scott, Scott Mason's idea of getting Gardner Minshew can uh, not happen now. But Can kick rocks just like this idea. The fabulous what? What did you just call them? The fabulous Freebirds? Yeah. So, it's a ripoff of, like, I'm picturing... Like, fabulous Freebirds. If you were going to tell me that this was going to be like a tongue-in-cheek thing where they would come out dressed up like the people in the band Molly Hatchet because you were trying, like, a playoff Freebird from Leonard Skinner, like, okay, I could see that. That might be pretty cool. Big hair, you know, tattered jeans, some flannel. But I have a feeling that's not the case. Can you throw on the screen in front of me, throw up a picture of what the fabulous Freebirds free look like? Just so I can... Because there's the horror, like, there's a part of me that says if I saw that version, I'd be like, all right, that's actually pretty funny. I mean, this is a, a pretty good picture, but, uh, you know, I have to zoom in and it's like all pixelated, but. Oh my God. Yeah. First of all, that one guy looks like Shane Gillis. Uh, second of all, that other guy looks like Chris Benoit with fake hair, like with a wig. With a wig. <laughs> I think it's- and then who is this curly mop on the left? Okay, what are the odds? Guys, I want you to Google this. What, Fabulous Freebirds? Yeah. What are the odds that that is the real hair on any of those three? Uh, It is. No. Yeah, if any, if I was going to guess, it'd be the one on the right. Yeah, because curly hair like that, like that's the shittiest hair I've ever seen. You can't fake that. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't put money into having good hair and have it turn into that. Yeah, I also like how all of these guys just look like pillows. Like during that era of wrestling, like basically to be a wrestler, you had to have like pecs and then just straight dad bod. Yep. <laughs> what year was that, Chris? Probably early eighties. <laughs> Isn't that like when did the Venice Beach like nineties? Okay, so Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Universe, like yeah. Okay, so they they hadn't been clued in yet that uh, Dad Bod was out. Yeah, hilarious. That actually does fit our group pretty well, then, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> so here we are talking about the Buffalo Bills. And as we just, we hear from all these guys and we hear a little bit about what their fan bases are going through. First of all, isn't it nice to be on this side of the fence? It is. Like, you know, earlier this week, I'm sure by now you've listened to our uh, just early free agent re- free agency reaction podcast. I'm sure that it, there are many of you who feel like we've had a boring week. But I'll tell you what, I take boring over most of what our, like, our corollaries across the division are going through right now. I would. Like, the Patriots, you have to feel like everything sucks. Like, you are, what's that, in dodgeball? Uh, not dodgeball, Jesus Christ, basketball. When he's listening to the radio and the, he's, the, the guy comes on, he goes, it sure is raining shit on <laughs> what a Joe, whatever the fuck his name is. That's how they must feel right now. And then you're the Jets who think you hung the moon. And the reality is we're all going to fall somewhere in the middle. I like the fact that we're already there. Some funny storylines. J.D. McKissick cut just a season after he shafted Buffalo for Washington. This is always nice to see. It's kind of funny. Like, And I'm still salty because there's a part of me that says if we had signed J.D. McKissick, we wouldn't have traded for Naheem Himes, I don't think. Correct. I don't think we would have spent a second round pick on James Cook. True or false? Mm. There's no way to know, but you'd probably lean more towards no. I would lean towards yes. You think we still would have drafted Cook? 100%. Okay. I think Brandon Bean's on that uh, thing of uh, having the running back room be the least room, the room that has the least amount of cap space for Sure, but then that would make sense. Like, you wouldn't spend a second-round pick on a running back. You would say, I've got Devin Singletary. I've got this guy. I've got whatever the... Who's the guy that they never let play? That everyone was like, oh, that's played for the Dolphins. Uh, Duke Johnson. Yeah. yeah. You have Duke Johnson, who's not a slouch, but you're not going to let him see the field. But you also still draft Cook because you know that you're not re-signing Singletary this year, which, surprise... We didn't re-sign him. True. His, he, he's found his market to be relatively uh, soft, you know? Soft. Yeah. Kind of like Mark Smith when it comes to the topic of Rachel Bush. Soft. <laughs> There's also a youth movement going on at the linebacker position, something we talked about in our show last week or our last podcast. Um, yeah. Like all the people going, well, there's still this option. And what about, well, okay, so we weren't in on Levante David, and we we weren't in on David Long, and we weren't in on this guy, but there's still a million guys. It almost feels like at this point, if they didn't swing for the fences for a high-level guy, what are the odds they're going to pay a bunch of money for somebody? Like, I don't know. Doesn't that just feel like a place where they'll either use the draft or just what they have? Yeah. Like, it's weird and fans won't like it, but that is very much what it feels like. It almost feels like they're starting to treat that like they're saying, look, we have one all pro. We can afford to treat this like the running back position for a year. (laughs) And if it doesn't work, fine, we'll figure something else out. We have a defensive head coach who's hopefully smart enough to help us overcome that. All the all the things that we talked about in our last show, all of that in mind, when you hear from our corollaries in the in the AFC East, where would you personally rank the Bills after the first few days? 
Somewhere in the middle. So you no longer think we're front runners in the AFC East? No, no. I thought you were talking about our free agency overall. No. No, we're still top dog. Okay. So, like, this is what I want to point out. For everybody who wants to grandstand on behalf of the Jets, everybody who thinks that Miami finally made the moves, they're going to get over the hump this year. Um, First of all, you don't get to say that to me until you win a game in Buffalo. It's been... It's been years. You look at Miami. Like they, each one of these teams has some hurdles that they're going to have to overcome here. Still, you know, obviously, the Bills' hurdle was a lack of cap space. It's why we lost Tremaine Edmonds. It's why some of the players who are still kind of out there that maybe you're interested in, or maybe that could make the Bills a better team, we can't necessarily afford them. Like that's our hurdle, and we know what that is. But every team is dealing with some version of that. And I'd argue the ones that our opponents are dealing with is more difficult, like Miami having no first-round draft pick this year because their executives were trying to be sneaky pricks. Um, the Patriots, with just an inability to recruit top-flight talent at positions that they need, combined with the fact that like they've had some hits in the draft recently, but there have been a lot of flops over the last few draft classes. And then there's the Jets, right? Like at the top of the show, talked all about Connor Hughes crown, wanting to crown these guys as already having arrived as contenders. And then we talked to Scott, and Scott's saying, well, we'll temper those expectations a little bit, and we'll. And then Elf comes in, and with the, like, like Elf comes in and just starts throwing strays about, well, they only beat two starting quarterbacks. And oh, well, they also, like, they also have, like, they've got issues. Here's one I know. There's, first of all, the idea of how long it may take them to get Aaron Rodgers. It's not a big deal if he misses OTAs. But if he's not available to them to start working with those young wide receivers, it, beca- it, could, be- it could become a problem. Correct? Could be, but, I mean, he's not going to be doing anything unless it's mandatory. No, but you would th- and I guess this is where you break down. You would think that a guy who genuinely wants to prove his former team wrong would show up for those things. He'd probably hold some private workouts and say, "Look, I want to get together with you guys. I want to get on the same page as fast as possible so we can hit the ground running so that we can build chemistry that we don't have right now." Gee, I, mean, I don't think the man's attended an OTA. I don't think he's been around. It's been like 4 or 5 years. I don't even think he knows how anymore. He's petty, right? Yeah, he's so you he's think one of us. Yeah, okay. So let me ask you this: the Jets and Packers played in Green Bay last season. Mm-hmm. So if he makes it to the Jets, you think he's going to stick around four years, just so in four years he can stick it to the Packers when they play for the only time? Well, I'll tell you what: <clears throat> if if there's a part of me that's rooting. For this idea, I don't think he'll survive. I, I don't think he has it in him, Chris. The guy was about to retire. Like, they went that, into darkness. Wouldn't that worry you? Like, we talked to guy. It's it's like when you talk somebody off the ledge. Isn't there a little bit of concern? Like, they might just climb back out there. <laughs> like, yeah. If things don't go well. Like, why do you think when someone does something like this, they immediately send them to the hospital and then send them to therapy? Because they're like, well, we need to make sure that we put some things in place because this person could very well just turn around and go back out on the ledge. If he was already there once, and then it took some pettiness and some other things to bring him back out, I don't know how far that gets you when you're talking about the rigors of an NFL season. 
especially in one of the most pressurized media markets in the country. We're going to talk about it more with Tyler Dunn, but you're going to, you're talking about a guy who he's seen it firsthand, has had his ass kissed for a decade. No one has been allowed to question that guy in a very, very, very long time. Do you think the New York media is going to pander to him at all? Mm. I, don't, I don't think they have it in them. Nice. Joe Benigo said it best. He said, misery sells here in this city because it's all we have in relation to sports. And so I, he, 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 had, he, was on a, he was on a different podcast, not his own, but he was doing a spot on someone else's and I listened to it. And he talked about the state of the New York media market and he was talking about how if you're a journalist who's steeped in this market, you end up learning that negativity is what sells. There is a section of the fan base that wants to hear positivity for the first month. <laughs> and yeah. then that dries up. And now you almost have to go negative. And then it becomes kind of like Jerry Sullivan here locally. It just becomes your shtick. It's, it's old reliable. Well, I can go tweet a nasty thing and write an article that's really critical. And even though everyone's mad at me, they'll read it. Be interesting to see if he befriends anybody within New York media. I don't know. He's certainly not making any friends at ESPN right now. I'll tell you that. That was phenomenal. And then there's this. And this is probably the thing, because you look at the Vegas odds. Like in a, I, Earlier I said it, and I just confirmed it. The Jets went from 25 to 1 is super, in Super Bowl odds. 14 to 1. Now, just with the rumor, the trade's not even complete, and it's already being, like, the line has moved that much in the eyes of Vegas. And one of the things I keep hearing regurgitated from all these talking heads is, well, he knows the playbook. He knows the playbook, and he's got familiarity with the play caller, so he's going to be able to hit the ground running. Chris, I have a tweet on our Twitter if you want to go look at it with me, but I have it up in front of me from Warren Sharp. You'd, you'd agree. Heard that, of him. You, you've heard of him. Nathaniel Hackett as a play caller, offensive rank and EPA per play. 2013 for Buffalo, they had the 25th best offense, negative EPA, <laughs> negative 0.8 or 0.08. 2014 with Buffalo, they backpedaled to the 27th ranked offense, 0.07 EPA per play. 2016 with Jacksonville, he had to wait till he could ride Doug Marone's coattails. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Gets his gig back. The 24th best offense, negative 0.07 EPA. No movement from the last time. Negative EPA per play. 2017 Jaguars, 12th best. That was the year they, that's the year they went to the AFC title game. Mm -hmm. 12th best offense, still negative 0.01 EPA per play. 2018, the next season, he gets to 0.16 or negative 0.16 EPA per play, but they're the 29th best offense in the NFL. Doesn't get to be play caller again until 2022 when he's coaching the Denver Broncos, leading the 31st ranked offense at negative 0.1 EPA. Now, Chris. Do you notice a gap there anywhere? Yeah. 20 was uh, with Green Bay. Because he wasn't calling the fucking plays. Let me ask you this. How, what about play call comes in, Aaron Rodgers goes, fuck you, I'm not calling that. I'm calling this. What do you think he's been doing? What do you think this is? Like, he's been doing that. It's why he's not in Green Bay anymore. Also... 
Do you know who else wrote a similar trajectory in terms of offensive ranks? And then, I guess not ranks, but like his inclusion on offense is then being handed the reign. Like, where have we seen this story before, Chris? Elite quarterback comes to town. A guy with the title of offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Team finds success. That offensive coordinator goes on to get hired as a head coach and falls on his face like resoundingly hard. Oh, yeah. that's right. It's Adam Gase. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett is Adam Gase. He was in the room when a Hall of Fame quarterback was like making these decisions with another play caller, and somehow he's gained some shine from that, and it blows my mind. I don't know how he got here. So with it in mind, I think that his inclusion in this whole thing is being wildly overblown. Like, I'm, I'm actually like, and then to your point, who is the play caller then? If Hackett's been a career bust as a play caller when he's on his own, career bust outside of one outlier season, what happens when this goes tits up? It becomes the Aaron Rodgers show. Yeah, it'll be fun. So now you've got Aaron Rodgers, the GM. You've got Aaron Rodgers, the, uh, the offensive coordinator. At what point does he just shut up and be Aaron Rodgers the quarterback? It's not going to happen. And how do you think the media is going to handle that when they find out that there's discord? It's, it'll, be, it'll be fun. I'm just saying. I, I think that there's way there, there's reasons to be ambivalent at best about this. It's one of my new favorite words. You're going to hear it a lot. I like it. I love the trajectory of it. And I like the fact that I agree with Vegas. The Bills are still the betting favorites for the AFC East. This early free agency period does nothing to move the needle on that. And if the Bills do manage to trickle in some more talent to fill in some of these gaps, I expect that division to widen a little bit. But realistically, we're still the front runners. And I think until anybody takes it from us, I don't want to hear another word about it. With that said, I love the show. I had a lot of fun tonight. Thank you to all of our guests who join us every week and give us their insights. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your AFC's Roundup. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.